Welcome to the new podcast series, King of the Middle, with Michael Joel Green and Chris Moore. Here's Michael Green. Hi, welcome back to King of the Middle podcast. I'm Michael. This is Chris. We're the podcast dedicated to being excellent with our craft, with our creativity, and being excellent in our worship of the Lord. Tonight, we are super excited to have a special guest with us, Gaetana Gravelis. She is a singer in Seattle, also one of the good friends of one of my good friends. So I've heard about her from years from my buddy, Andrew. And we talked last week and it was a blast getting to know you somewhat. We cannot wait to hear your story. Uh, Gaetana has a rich history in music. Uh, as well as church and faith, and we want to hear all about it. So without further ado, please welcome Gaetana Gravelis. Thank you so much for having me, Chris and Michael. It's an honor, and I'm like, (gasps) hopefully hopefully I live up to the hype, especially if you've had somebody talking about you for that long, and you're like, oh, great, that's awesome. So, ready for the lies? I am. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, all right. Let it rip. This one, less of a question, more of an intro. Just tell, tell us about yourself. Well, yeah, I'm Gaetano Gravelis. I, man, I'm 42. I have really no problem telling people how old I am. It's one of those crazy things. I'm a little bit, a little bit. That's a lot. I'm proud of the fact that I'm 42, still going strong and viable in the music industry, which makes me super excited. Um, Even though it's not necessarily, uh, excuse me, not necessarily something I do for a living. Um, I have been singing my entire life. So when I was younger, my mother thought that she was listening to the radio all the time. Uh, And then whenever she would come into the room, there would be no radio and it would just be me playing. And after a few years of this, she started realizing it like sunk in a little bit that, oh my goodness, I think it's her. And so the only person who knew I could sing was my mother. And when I was seven, she abandoned me and my family and she left. And from the time I was seven to probably about 13 years old. I didn't sing at all. I was a a fake mom. I was a fake, you know, wife. I was the person who did all the cooking and cleaning for my father and my brother and sort of shelved a lot of that and had to go through a lot of experiences and a lot of life. Um, My father was remarried when I was about Uh, I was 13. uh, And that was not a good relationship uh, for me. She didn't adopt me. She adopted my siblings, but not me. And I just couldn't figure out how to get out. I couldn't figure out how I was ever going to like go through life alive. I actually had like thoughts that I'd probably just naturally die when I was 18 or 19 years old. I just didn't expect much. And I remember one night I was just sitting there praying and asking God just to give me some hope when I started singing again. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to audition for this high school musical, which was crazy. Uh, It was through our church. I used to go to Silver Lake Chapel. I think it's now (laughs) Church of All Nations. They're in in Everett, Washington. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it. And I, I showed up. My father didn't want me to audition. I was the smart kid. I was skipped ahead a bunch of grades. So they were like, you're blowing all your chances. What are you doing with this? And I just snuck out. I was like, I don't care. I'm doing it. I don't care what you say. I got there. Everybody laughed at me. It was pretty hilarious. And I weirdly said, from now on, I will get every lead and every musical and play or cantata or anything that there is in this church or this area again. 
and you will get nothing. And they laughed even harder at that time. You know, at that time I was, I was 13, right? I looked like a small Hispanic child. It was um, male <laughs> too. I didn't even look like a little girl. It was always, I was always mistaken for a boy. I remember I walked into audition and their faces fell. They were just like, what is going on? This is somebody who was auditioning for the lead in the play, you know, that just end of the day, haven't found the right person. And I sat down at the piano and I said, what do you want to hear? And they said, what? And they were like, what do you want to hear? Uh, they were like, oh, like amazing grace. And I was like, okay, what key? And everybody's like, what do you, you know, I think they thought I was crazy. And I was like, awesome, cool. I set everything up and I sang amazing grace. And when I looked over their mouths were hanging open and literally from that day forward, I got every lead and every musical and every play or cantata or whatever, any worship that they did again. And so it was, it was marked. It was almost a pro well, it, it was, it was a prophecy in my opinion, um, that I wasn't even aware I, or a proclamation that I was delivering. And from the time I was 13, uh, all the way through high school, I had the pleasure of singing with, uh, with the worship team, but also doing things with like acquire the fire, um, out of Texas, DC talk, Michael W. Smith and Amy Grant. So I got to do a lot of these little background singing jobs is, you know, um, go West young man always makes me laugh, you know, cause you hear like all those kids in the background and I'm like, that was me. <laughs> so you get to do even like a kid's pop and things like that. Um, for college, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had offers for scholarships all over the place. I took a, a bit of time and went to Europe with the U S collegiate choir. And that was through the Juilliard school. And so for an entire summer, I got to travel all over, uh, Europe and just sing everywhere I could. Uh, anything from opera to choral music, anything you kind of think of. I came back and went to Central Washington University for one year and owned that school. It was pretty epic, um, but it quickly, um, I think you and I had spoken about this before, Michael, that it became um, like that episode of the Twilight Zone where that cowboy dies and he is gambling and he's always winning. And he, at first, it's really awesome. He's winning and there's nobody against him and it's it's great and then after eons of that he hates his life and he tries to kill himself only to realize he's in hell um, he's been there the entire time so winning wasn't fun anymore and so I needed to be sharpened and so I uprooted myself I took some time and I became a crazy weird random traveler so I went back to the Juilliard school I rejoined up with a lot of the U.S. collegiate choir and went back to Europe I uh, came back down to Azusa Pacific University, University of Washington, Gonzaga. I just kept jumping around because I was getting jobs in all of these places as a singer. And so part of me as a teenager who's not necessarily wanted by your family, that they want me, I'm going to stop what I'm doing and I'm going to do this. And so unfortunately with that, I could see the good that comes out of it now, but unfortunately you never, ever finish anything up. So then you look back and you're 42 and you have 700 and I think it was 798 credits and in a random weird degree that you could piece together from that. And so it was a lot of experience and a crazy amount of time from singing as a scab with Disney, which is terrible <laughs> and being Belle in a lot of their shows because the show has to go on. Um, and then to coming up here and just being in a lot of bands, I, I started singing at Mill Creek Foursquare and that's where I met Andrew Herridge, our buddy. Um, and Andrew and I forged this great relationship and he in turn was really great friends with John Young and the guys from the Myriad 
started. And so it ended up being this big circle of musicians that kept getting together. And then I just needed something. So a friend challenged me to audition for the Seattle Rock Orchestra, and uh, which is like Seattle's premier rock orchestra, right? They're the ones who started it all. It was before it was something that was like even going on or on anybody's mind. And I got the part. And so I could proudly say that now I'm one of the divas for the Seattle Rock Orchestra. And we get to do all sorts of things. I mean, usually at this time of the year, this is my season. So this would be Led Zeppelin season um, going into, I would say it's Led Zeppelin or it's Bowie going into Led Zeppelin, going into like the Beatles. Um, but this year, unfortunately, we're just sort of trying to do things online. So, and that's where I'm at with music at this time. <laughs> Yeah, I've got, I've got, uh, I want to jump ahead, but I, I want you to tell a quick story because you told the story to me and I'm a big fan. What, can you tell us the, the story of being with Heart? Oh my gosh. No. So they were, they were so funny. So we did with the Seattle Rock Orchestra, we get to do all these, all this great music and we get to do things with um, sometimes with the musicians and then sometimes you meet them randomly outside kind of connected. And that's what happened with heart. Um, and so I had sung Barracuda, uh, when we were, it was like the city of Kent had hired us and I was so, I was terrified, but nobody ever videos those things, right? You're not there. Everybody's very like, you can't video, you can't take pictures. None of that stuff happens. God bless my best friend. So she came in with the camera and she had recorded it and we were, out closer to the EMP. We were doing some work with this uh, Rain City rock camp. I was getting in there and kind of doing some things. And there's like Nancy Wilson. And I'm like, not worthy, not worthy. It was a very Wayne's World moment. Um, I I mean, I don't even count it as a meeting because it was so very, you know, whatever. And so she was so polite. She was so awesome. She asked us what we were doing. Um, She had been doing things with um, some various groups in the area. And she had asked me about like, how, like, how was I doing hitting those high notes? Cause she heard I was in the Seattle rock orchestra. And I was like, how do you, how do you get your chest voice up there? And so she was amazing. She was like, oh, okay. So there's some practicing you could do. And I was like, so I got like weird random vocal tips from Nancy Wilson, even though it was for like 10 seconds. I mean, that whole meeting probably took like a minute. Um, it's still one of those things where I'm like, <laughs> I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I can't even believe it. And then I followed her, just like watched her go everywhere she went. <laughs> like, you gotta pay attention. What are you doing? Um, you have people you need to talk to. So, yeah. I mean, even just that brief moment was one of those things that sets you up for the rest of your life. Like, you know. And and she's. I mean, she's amazing. But she's some of the other people I've met too, where I've got to spend more time with them. I feel horrible because I'm just. I talk so much and it's fluid, but when I meet them, I become rain man and I don't understand (laughs) (laughs) like why I can't control myself from saying the things that I say. So Mm -hmm. that's pretty funny. (laughs) The fame monster. We talked about that a little bit before. Uh, in previous episodes that it's that the tongue-tied rain man is perfectly natural okay. around famous people yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. It yeah it's the norm more like around like artists who are like who are actors or actresses you know i've run into like people who act and all that and i'm just like yeah cool what do you need mm-hmm. awesome mm-hmm. you know like i yeah. feel like i'm a, like the boston in me comes out and i's like yeah sure but when it yeah, somebody 
who's a man, who's a musician, you know, practiced, you know, they put in the time, they went through hardship to write that music and they went for it. And they're not just computer programmers. There's a part of me that just can't even handle it. It just switches off the circuit turns. Speak more about that. Actually, um, something you mentioned to me the other day, you, you just mentioned about practicing in the work. Yeah. So it's practice is a, I believe practice is a lost art. I think on its own practice is an art form. Uh, the other day I was teaching, like I, I think I was telling you earlier, I was teaching a, a brief voice lesson to a friend um, and we were going over, he was telling me about his warm ups and the things he was doing and that they, you know, those weren't really important. I was like, no, 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 wait, what did you say? And he said, those aren't important. And I'm like, no, but that's what makes you flexible. So the most important thing to do every single day no matter what is to practice. And when I was a little girl, my father made a plaque and it said Mozart and <laughs> Chopin. And, you know, it had all these names and it says, and Gaetano Gravelisi all have one thing in common. And at the bottom it says practice, 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 practice. And I still have that. Uh, I look at it and pull it out every once in a while and just start laughing. My father knew uh, the moment I, the moment I stopped practicing is the moment <laughs> somebody comes in over the top of me and can take away something that I've worked so hard for. Um, so I saw it in a competitive sense when I was beginning. Um, but as I matured, uh, practice is something completely different. Uh, there's a joy in learning something so fully, embracing every aspect of it, uh, from why why the writer wrote the song, what they were going through at the time, what the cultural temperature was, um, as well as placing my hands on the keys and learning a song I haven't done before and memorizing those, memorizing all of those positions through my hand and then noticing one day that I am singing this song without thinking about it. My eyes are closed, my hands are moving on the keys and all of a sudden their creation becomes my creation. My hurt, my pain, my pleasure, all of the things Things that are part of that song to me come through it and it's my own interpretation you can't have that own your own interpretation of something that's authentic and real if you haven't practiced it you don't just pick it up and blah 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 it might sound good but it's hollow um, and so you know the, I think the only way you really even get pleasure out of this job sometimes too is that practicing, right? Um, it's just that singing and playing and writing and creating, even if nobody else is around, it's more than a hobby. It's my passion, right? So um, spending my time doing it with regardless, regardless if somebody hears me or not is, is it doesn't negate that, I guess. Um, if you're talking more like advice, like going into music, uh, so the, the man, I wish I had learned this when I was younger, take care of you first. <laughs> so it's huge. I, I think, you know, our, our folks, especially as Christians, right? We're supposed to help people when they ask you help, you swoop in and you do that. Um, I even wrote down something because I was thinking about it. I was like, perfect your craft first. Other people will see that talent and they're going to want to hitch along. Um, they don't mean to, they don't mean to, it could be this poor darling who's out in the audience, who sings off key, who can't really do anything, but they're like, I'm going to be a singer like her. And so then what they do is they ask you for voice lessons. They ask you how to write a song, how they mm. should go about doing these certain things, right? You need to perfect your craft first. Um, mm. 
that's because other people are going to see how talented you are. You dazzle, right? When you are in your zone, when you are passionate, you do. You dazzle, you sparkle. People know it. And so they instantly want to latch on from the, like what I was saying earlier, the kid who can't sing, who's completely off key. Uh, they'll come in and say, I want to be a singer like her. I want to look like her. I want to dress like her. I want to be like her. I'm exactly like her. Look at how amazing this is, right? Um, and then as Christians, we're told, that we need to love everyone as Christ loved the church. We need to take ourselves and put ourselves over here and serve others, right? Servant leadership at its best. And the problem with that is I, I kind of like it, you know, to the man that gave his servants the talents, right? The 10 talents, the five talents, the one talent, right? I don't want to be the one talent guy who like buried it because I got sidetracked because I had to train this person to sing and I had to, this guy needed help with this and I decided I was going to do this and I never recorded my own stuff. I never, I never shot for the moon, right? I never was the five or 10 talent guy that that invested it or tried something new and tried to see what was coming back, right? I want to make sure that that talent he has given me, I've developed it. Um, mm. Those people can take care of themselves. Um, and that's, I think, the biggest thing that I even tell my employees and my associates at work, mm. right, is that nobody cares about you but you right? People care, but you have to care about you first. You have to value yourself enough to create those healthy boundaries to say no gently, right? But to say, no, I'm sorry. You know what? I don't think I can help you with that, but I can give you the name of somebody who could like you. There's a way to pass people off that still conveys help, right? Mm. Um, I know when I was younger, there were a lot of people who did that and I helped a lot of folks out and then they made it like they had a connection. I didn't have, they got in there, they made it. And then I remember doing shows with them where they acted like they couldn't remember who I was. And then they remembered mm. halfway through the show. Oh, Oh my gosh. I didn't even realize it was you. And I'm like, yeah, me who gave you your start and like totally gave you your first show. Cool. Yeah. Did, yeah. Thanks for taking up the uh, whole hour and a half warm up time. That was awesome. Thank you for tuning your two guitars and your drums. That was I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Every minute of that, of not having a sound check. So it's really, it's really interesting. If you can learn that first and learn that it's not selfish to develop yourself, uh, you know, you can develop others once you've made it. <laughs> right? Yeah. And we spoke in previous episodes of the show about how important it is that you throw yourself out there. You take risks and you trust God as an artist. Like if you don't take those risks and look after like, I spent a lot of years working with other people, but I suppressed things that I wanted to do, and part of it was because I wasn't doing exactly what you're talking about, taking the time to focus on what's right for me and what does God have for me. I put a lot of time into saying, no, I'm no good, and I, and, and it's a little bit different from what you're talking about, but at the end of it, at the end of the day, it's the same thing, which is until you embrace looking after yourself and, and looking to the Lord and say, what do you want from me and how do you want to use me, and I don't want to be humble, overly humble, or spend too much time, which I've spent a lot of time in my career working with people that were things that were going to a dead end, when I could have gotten out earlier, but I didn't. Sounds like you're a lot smarter than than I've been in a lot of things that I've done where when I was younger. Right. The wisdom comes from being an idiot and falling on my face yeah. a thousand times first, right? <laughs> we we were talking about this yeah. the other day too, you know, like where I'm like, Lord, I need your supernatural wisdom right now. Right. I do not have three months to go through this fail and learn. Mm -hmm. I have a minute. 
I need you now. <laughs> I need you to come through. Um, and so it's, I mean, I yeah. think um, like, what is, what is the, I think the demons in the comparison, right? When we're younger, when we're younger, we don't say, what mm. am I doing? Like, how can I perfect me? We say, look at what mm. they have and I'm never going to get there. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm just going to sit down and hide and, mm. and maybe I'm just going to lick my wounds and, and maybe God will pull me down out of that. And he's, he's going to just pull me up and I'm going to be up at their level mysteriously. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't need hard work. God will do it all for me. And what they don't understand is I think God's in the hard work, right? That's the journey Mm -hmm. that refines us, the fire that burns us down and gets rid of the chaff. And right. And then we're never, Mm -hmm. we're never pure, right? We're continually in the fire. Mm -hmm. Um, It's actually what my name means, which is craziness. So in the fire, Gaetana means pure gold, pure gold. Okay. Refined by it's yeah. It's always refined in the fire, continually Mm -hmm. refined. So my name means like tested. (laughs) That's awesome. That's pretty cool. Thanks. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. And one thing I would add, what was that? Us, nothing. My wife you're, and you're I are reading, the fire. We're, yeah, we're reading Daniel about, right now. We were like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the in the fire. Yeah, there you exactly. Are. Great example. I would say definitely never feel. You shouldn't feel. Uh, and I, it doesn't sound get kind of like you do feel badly, but to tell someone who's an artist who's coming at you who hasn't put the time in, who has not does not have experience yet, and you're not even sure where their heart is, whether they're serious. You know, it's okay to say like you said, God's going to take care of you. I was talking to a a woman who's a producer here in LA and her husband's a composer and he works on major studio stuff. He's working on stuff now. And he said, people will come to him like church people and say, I got this great song. God gave it to me. It's awesome. And she'll give it to him. And he's like, okay. And he'll go and listen to it. And he'll come back to him and say, I think God gave that to you because he didn't want it. (laughs) And And she was like, it's okay to be nice, but to tell people now this isn't, this isn't something to pursue, or at least not for me. Like that's a hard line for Christians to find. And it sounds like you've found that I've had a really hard time in my life getting to that place to be able to say, yeah, I support you, but I, I, I'm, I can't be there in the trenches with you doing this. I'm glad you're doing it, but I can't be there with you. Yeah. And I can honestly thank my, my job. I can thank, I can thank Aerotech for that. I mean, when you're, Hmm. when you're six, like almost 16 years, I think deep into Aerotech, right? 14 years with the Nintendo as a client, when you're doing that, you learn through a lot of trial and error, but what I've noticed the most with that is it's this beautiful metrics board, right? I can see the stats and the graphs and I can see that everybody I just gave the answer to fail. Right. And then have to get back up again. And I've seen a lot of the folks I've made work for it. I've given them the resources to go do the research themselves, actually embrace a lot of that and, Mm. and become amazing people who help others embrace what's naturally inside of them. I have happier, Mm. better engaged worker bees because they're empowered, right? And they understand where they're going. Their trajectory isn't, isn't a dot. Yeah, I actually want to, I want to, I want to go, but I want to stop right there. I just want to highlight something. You're talking about uh, your job right now. I, we haven't, we haven't specified this, but I think you're so busy with your music that people listening right now would think that that's kind of what you're doing, all you're doing. So what you're talking about now is your, this is a, for lack of a better term, a day job, uh, your day job. What? So you've already mentioned a little bit of it, but tell us more and also how you balance your job with your other job in music. 
Yeah. So it's a, I had started out, I was a, I was working at a chiropractic clinic and then had gone to work at a hospital as more of like an executive director role and realized I was spending 80 hours a week working. It was too much. Mm. Um, Every single day when I wasn't working, I would go in and start doing things. And I thought that ended when I, when I was working at the clinic, I loved the doctors there. I loved them completely thought that was going to end. It didn't end. I just realized it was a medical field problem. And at that point I had taken those jobs because I had kind of given up on music, like doing it for a living. It was just so hard. I'd lived in my car. I had like, I wasn't able to pay the bills and I was like, I'm still going to sing. I think it just has to be a hobby right now until I can establish myself. Mm. Um, but I got to the point where too much money, yeah, more money, more problems. Definitely a, a truer, truer song lyric has never been. Um, <laughs> and so I quit. I had saved up enough money and saw a job for like 13 bucks an hour working for Aerotech, like as an administrative assistant. And I was like, okay, yeah, I can do this. And I kept applying and they wouldn't hire me. Uh, So I made my resume look like a wedding invitation and I sent it to the like person in charge of that office. And they interviewed me like the next day. (laughs) So uh, they were freaked out. They were like, we checked all your credentials. You are way overqualified. Um, why do you want this? And I said, I want to sing. I want to be with my family. I want to have a life. I want to work someplace 40 hours a week that understands that work-life balance. I promise I will give you 100%. There's no such thing as 110, right? You either give Mm -hmm. all of yourself or none of yourself. You're just giving Mm -hmm. a subpar product. Um, so I, I guarantee I will do it. I go, don't worry within, within a year, I will run this, this little division. (laughs) And so I gave them a year, I promised. And within six months, I took over one of our other clients, um, and became more of like the on-premise manager on-premise executive. And so Aerotech pulled me out of there and offered me one of the opportunities with another client. Nintendo. That's the last mm-hmm. time I'll say that name. So that's my client, right? <laughs> but I work for Aerotech. So in essence, I became their on-premise manager and I've worked there so long that I'm sort of an OPE. We say on-premise everything. Um, mm-hmm. And I love them. I get to work with people. I get to work in a creative artist field. I also get to see the hardware mm-hmm. and the software side of the house and understand planning and how things get like from A to Z. It's kind of crazy. Both of the companies, not just Aerotech, but my client, they're amazing. Um, they're really something else. Um, anytime I had to leave for music, they just let me go. And they were like, oh, how long? Can you just jump on a computer now and then? Yeah, okay, we'll still pay you. Don't worry about it. Like, who does that? You still have a job when you come back. You want to take a month and do this? Okay, go ahead. Go ahead, kid. We'll see you when you get back. So a lot of the times I despaired wow. that I wasn't doing music full time, right? Like, hey, what kind of artist do I think I am? Can't even like scratch <laughs> by. But why would I when I have a company that loves me so much that anytime I want to do something, they're like, go on, kid, go sing, give us some tickets. We'll do whatever. Show us a link. We'll support you. I mean, that that I don't believe in coincidence. I used to, I don't anymore. That, that is 100% God. Mm-hmm. Who gets that? Like who gets that? I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, you would say, and the world would say I've fallen into something perfect, but I really believe that God has orchestrated for me to be exactly where I am right now. Faults and victories all in one. 
um, for just a time as this, right? Um, I have to re- I have to say that a lot too, right? Because it's really easy to fall back into the pit of why and get mm-hmm. dramatic and cry over commercials for no reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I snap myself out of it and remember who I am in the kingdom. So, <laughs> yeah. So Aerotech for the win. There. <laughs> The question that with it, Mike had here that we have here for you is, can you speak more to your faith in the Lord and how has it played a part in your in your music? Because you said you're working for the Seattle Rock Orchestra now, which is not faith-based music, although I'm sure there's some in there. Yeah. But like, so really the gist of this whole question is what we're curious about as always in me, I've worked in a secular industry industry here in Hollywood, but I've also done a lot of faith-based work. And I've been heavily involved in church for years, and, and, and but yet I've also been out there in the world and as an artist. And the question becomes, how do you see your faith working in in everything that you're doing in your music? Like, And how do you resolve yourself between the pull of those two worlds where definitely when you're working with people who don't know the Lord and are there temptations? I mean, I'm just throwing a big question out there and I'll just let you chew on it. <laughs> I know, and that's one of those big ones, right? So, mm-hmm. so, so multifaceted. Um, my father is a pastor. And so my dad, mm. my dad used to say all of the time, Jesus didn't hang out with the Christians. He hang out with prostitutes and lawyers and tax collectors. Right. And so I, I remembered that as a kid and kind of held on to it and was laughing because that's right. Right. Like these Christians, they have Jesus, right. You can still be Christ to them. Right. But they, they have more, when you say things like, are you born again? They're like, yes. Like they understand the crazy eighties, nineties, Pentecostal like lingo that nobody gets right. Or they think Mm -hmm. is hokey. Um, You talk to them differently, right. We, we come from a common core of the word, right. Where we can reference it. And I can say, Oh, that accent floated. Right. And they're like, Oh, on your faith, right? You can get super out there. When you go into the secular world, these people have no idea what in the world you're talking about, right? And most people can't boast that they're the same person in and out of church, right? Like they're the different person on Sunday that they are at any time of the week. But if you talk to Andrew or John or any of them, I am always the same person. Uh, that is my dad pounding into my head authenticity um, from all the ridiculous things I say and do and everything, which means that I am inherently flawed, right? And we were talking about how we gain wisdom, right? Is those flaws and learning and getting back up, how we get back up. In the secular world, I think what, what folks need is hope, right? Things are going to get better. Uh, things are Things can be more. There is a Jesus out there. Jesus loves you regardless of the crap that you throw in the way, thinking that it's going to make him run away, that we have zero concept or understanding of how deep this agape love, like what that actually is. We have no no way to know that. And so I think the only thing that can reconcile me to being able to sing in a secular environment or do that is that I desperately want to be Jesus in this environment. I don't always have to quote scripture and I don't always have to do this, but my actions speak so much louder than my words. I will be 
the partner who listens to you when you're sad. I'm going to be the person who will pick you up on the side of the road in West Seattle, even though I live in like Edmonds or Bothell, right? I'll come out of my way and I'll come grab you. I want to know about you. Um, I mean, contrary to popular belief on this show, I don't talk all this much. Uh, <laughs> oftentimes I'm a big listener, right? And so, uh, I mean, I can talk a lot, but I can listen. And one of the most wonderful things is listening to folks, um, my people that I work with at Aerotech, the, the people that I sing with in the SRO, even some of the kids who are in our SOML, like the School of Ministry and Leadership. A lot of those kids are brand new Christians. They don't necessarily understand exactly what's happened to them. Their parents put them in this. They don't know what's going on. And so I get this great opportunity to listen to them and breathe through their story. But because I've stumbled, I'm not like, you what? you did what? How dare you, right? I've already been, man, I'm too preoccupied taking this log out of my eye to take the speck out of yours. I just want you to keep mm. talking. I want you to be honest and true, and I want you to get it out because I think that's the only way that once we get that junk out of the way that we actually can commune with him, right? Um, and so that's one of the reasons why I, why I do it too. Like it's kind of a sub reason underneath everything, but it's the foundation. So it's not, I mean, so I guess it's not the sub reason. It's the foundation of everything I do. Um, I, I firmly believe had I not met Christ when I was younger, had I not been involved in church, had I not waited. I was the kid who waited out of all of us. My parents are very upset. I would not give my heart to Christ. I refused. I mean, I would tell them too. And I'd be like, no. Right. And I was like 12 and they were like, how come you won't do this? And 13 and 14. And how come you won't do it? Your, your younger brother did, you know, like I would get that a lot. Um, mm. and I was like, because I don't understand and I don't want to do something I don't understand. And it caused a lot of problems when I was younger. Um, there constant, constant belittlement, right? Like of, Oh, well you did this. Well then, mm -hmm. be, then you can't do this if you're not going to do this. And I'm like, I really don't think Jesus wants you a fair weather friend. Um, I remember my mm -hmm. father being furious with me, <laughs> but he was like, you're absolutely right. Now that we're older, he goes, no, it's the truth. It was, it was the truth because when I finally said, no, I, I did, I gave my heart to Christ. I think I'd given my heart and given my life to the cause when I was a kid. And I was just, I needed my time to process what that looked like in human form. Um, and I don't think a lot of seven, eight, nine-year-olds do that, right? They're just like, Jesus is the answer. And I was like, mm -hmm. what does that mean? <laughs> so mm -hmm. by the time I was a teenager in those great formative mm -hmm. years where everybody's trying new things and our hormones and our emotions and everything are through the roof, I got to say, well, what, it, what would, how would Christ actually respond to this? Like, what would be the answer to this? Well, why don't I go look? Why don't I go ask? I remember running into our youth pastor's office sobbing because I didn't understand what grieving the Holy Spirit meant. And I, what if I did it and I didn't know I did it and I'm not forgiven. Um, and so that was a great explanation because I was hysterical. That was a great explanation and a lot of laughter later on as I was older to figure out like what that meant. <laughs> so, but you know, like I had to go through that process where I don't think a lot of uh, like younger Christians actually get that opportunity. We have this, we, we get saved right away. We get baptized. We're doing it because our friends are doing it. Right. And then we get into college and we fall away and we make all of these crazy mistakes. Um, and then we have to come back and we have to slog through the mud. 
I loved Jesus the whole time. Um, so I don't know if that makes me a terrible person for the crap I pulled in college because I knew I loved Jesus, but I still made bad decisions. So there's a whole, man, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> ethics, ethics versus morality. Like mm -hmm. if you know something, does it mean it? <laughs> right. We all struggle with that one. Right. I was <laughs> in, different John in different degrees. <laughs> right. You remember that John Constantine? Like he knew there was a hell. He knew there was a heaven. So there was nothing he could do to get into heaven. Right. Like mm -hmm. he mm -hmm. had to have an act of faith. And so, um, yeah, working in the secular mm. world, I find that just being the authentic, crazy self that I am, mm. with all my flaws and all the grossness that's there too. And admitting, yeah, I screwed mm. up or I did this, but also being like, but I love Jesus so much and he loves you and man, you should just come and hang out with me has served, has served me really well so far. I, I don't mm. think there's a thing I would change about, about that. I hope that mm. I hope answered that. <laughs> there's a verse that I always go back to that's, and this isn't a, always the case, but it's still admitted yeah, in the Bible, but it's when one's ways pleases the Lord, he makes even the enemies be at peace with that person. Um, and one thing I, I, do, uh, I do love about that was I feel that we are, we, we, are we, have, we don't know how to listen to each other, and we kind of, each side shouts each other down. Uh, I don't listen to people very well, or at least I don't, I don't, and uh, so I, I, I appreciate that as far as uh, just listening to people and not wanting to shout them down. Uh, we definitely need more of that, and if the church is to be a light in the darkness of the culture, it is going to be through listening, though not affirming everything, but being that ear that isn't going to shout someone down and is going to say, Jesus does love you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agree. It's a, I still have to work on it all the time. I, I'm one of those people who, when I get excited, so if you're telling me a good story, I instantly am like, yeah, I totally get it. Oh my God, that's amazing. And people are like, why are you interrupting me? I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm just so stoked. <laughs> so I have to like pull it back and calm down. But yeah, I've noticed. <laughs> Times when I've just been silent and sat there and been like, okay, let's hug it out that they're like, I'll never forget her listening. And I'm like, I, I feel bad. That was eight years ago and I forgot. Um, <laughs> but I'm glad that it was cathartic <laughs> just yeah. to have somebody listen and repeat back to you what you mm -hmm. said and then mm -hmm. let you go. There is yeah. confession, isn't there? So, <laughs> mm -hmm. yes being heard have has there ever been anybody in one of these these secular jobs sro or whatever where anybody said oh yeah i'll take you up on it i'll go to church i'll yeah. come check your joint out yeah uh and, and it's crazy so my our pastors they're so funny so i go to venture church it's in mill creek it's like pastor brandon and diabeals they're amazing but they're they were laughing they were like so our church is very um it's mill creek and that's hard to explain it's very white upper middle class uh very we're very proper in our Uggs and our pumpkin spice lattes and our SUVs and soccer practice. We're very go Hawks, you know, so we're very, that's what they are. And then I come in with this secular mindset and you've got the LGBTQ community coming into our church and they're like, Gaetano, we love them. 
but wow, you presented us, us with a conundrum <laughs> when, mm-hmm. when they sit down with us and we have a question. I'm like, oh yeah, I know. I'm so sorry. Do you, is there anything I can do to help? Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're like, pray. And I'm like, okay. You know, and we do. So we end up, it's funny. I always say the flavor at our church kind of comes from me and my finding people all over that need love and just need Jesus mm-hmm. so deeply. Um, mm-hmm. I'm like, babe, you're, mm-hmm. we are not our feelings. We are not our sin. That is not what defines us. Jesus defines us. And so getting folks to Mm -hmm. understand where that is and that they can come and, you know, uh, like you were saying, I think Michael was saying earlier, I don't necessarily affirm it, but but I love you and I'm with you and I hear you. That is, those words, like meaning it has so much more power than actually agreeing with somebody, right? You agree with them. Mm -hmm. So does another like, 2 billion people, but affirm, you know, affirming who they are, saying that you believe in them and that they'll make the right choices that, you know, like you love them is huge. It can be life, life changing. People, people can sense, I mean, you're right. People can sense when they are being loved. And, and I think you're right. That carries through. Even if you tell someone, you know, I don't agree with this that you're doing or what, you know, this, but they know that you're loving them. And, that that's a that's powerful yeah and our, our pastor actually just a couple of days ago was talking to somebody who wanted to bring somebody to church who's not a believer and has some very different views than the church and our pastor thank goodness i'm at a church where this is what the pastor says is bring them we love them but let them know what we believe ahead of time about these certain issues so that they're not shocked because i don't want somebody to get we're going to love them but don't be shocked if you come here and you know and the conversation was like oh of course they do and it's like that's great that's that's kind of because it's about being loved and welcoming and wanting people to come and 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 that's the one thing that i think we can offer as artists in the secular world when we're working is open the doors and say Come on, I've been able to share a few times in my life on very limited uh, success rate of getting anybody to come to church or even go to church, but at least I've been able to share. But on occasion, I've, I think some people, I can see the wheels spinning. And it's like, even that may be all that God wanted me to do in my my brush up with folks in the in my secular work, but it's all valuable and yeah, God can use it. He fell on some deeper ground, right? And just mm-hmm. a little bit mm-hmm. of time to, to process. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, Michael, we went through pretty much, we've covered all the topics here. So do you have anything else or Gatan, I was going to say to you, if you, this is like a generic ender show kind of question, but if there was one thing you'd want, want to be remembered for lip while you're live, I'm not asking a postmortem <laughs> question. You have like half your life or more to go. You, you're Italian. You could live to be 110. But for right now, somebody said, if there was one thing that you'd like to most be known for, um what is it and and then michael if you have any final questions or anything i i mean it's kind of great i have basically like a little bit of a personal like motto like is that i want everyone to be seen uh and so i hope that the people that i'm with from my associates and my employees to people i sing with to the audience members to you know all of it I sincerely pray and hope that they feel seen, 
that they know somebody sees them. Um, I think sometimes it looks like I might have Tourette syndrome when I'm up on stage. Uh, friends laugh. They're like, we thought you couldn't see us, right? Uh, this was a, it was a 10,000 person venue and you managed to find all of us in the audience and wink or point or nod. And I'm like, I can see you. <laughs> I think, yeah. I think most people, how they handle, they handle stage fright is they sort of black out the audience, right? And they sing sort of mm -hmm. to the sky. The way that I handle it is I make eye contact with people all throughout the audience. Uh, I try to make oh. sure I hit all of them too. I'll wink, I'll talk to people and all that, but that all ties into being seen. Right. And I mean, you heard me mm. earlier in the show state, my mom left when I was seven, um, you know, as a little girl, uh, when you have no mom and you're doing mm. all that work, people don't understand. Right. Um, and I was invisible. I was, I, nobody fought over me. Nobody screamed at me. Nobody did anything. I didn't exist. And I remember that feeling of hopelessness. I remember him. I remember my father getting remarried. Right. And I remember thinking things were going to change and it just kept going. Right. I, and the sad thing is, you know, that relationship, I didn't feel seen by my, by my mom, my stepmom, who it was the woman who raised me, who I love her. Right. But I didn't see feel seen till I was maybe 31, 32. And, and that meant that I only got about eight years with her like that before she passed away. Um, it's one of those things that always makes me horrified when I think about it. Um, and so every single little child from the strangest little character to the sweetest thing ever, I want them to know I see them. I, you're there. I want to talk with them. I want to, I want to ask them about their experiences. Um, and if I guess really it boils down to, I just want to be known by love. And so that's, that's what I want to be known by. That's good. That is the perfect ender. I, it, it does remind me a little bit of, I don't know if you all know uh, Alice Cooper. The, yeah. But no, I don't know if you know, like, he's a Presbyterian minister. I know him. No, I don't know all yeah, of him. Yeah, yeah. But like Al Alice Cooper, who has a reputation for being like the, you know, crazy rocker guy, he's, he's actually an ordained minister. And so when you listen to like people that he's on the on tour with, I mean it's pretty amazing because he will befriend every one of them and like share his faith with them and be almost like this fatherly figure to them. And it it sort of reminds me a little bit of you talking about how you're kind of the the flavor in uh, in the Adventure Church. Like Alice Cooper has got more flavor than you know what to do with, but yet here's this guy that is sold out for his faith and uh, all his tour you know people that go on tour with him just go he's the greatest he's the most just kindest guy in the world so uh i, th I think it's been a wonderful conversation uh, i think please tell us or tell people that are listening right now how they can find you how they can find your music uh let to keep abreast of what you're doing right now sure uh you can follow me on facebook at gate it's gaitana Gravelisi. If you type that in, it all pops up. And that name is yeah. pretty epic. Uh, also at Gaetana Gravelisi at soundcloud.com, which is pretty fun. So that is where we have stuff. Right now we're on a small temporary hold, but most of our music will be back up. And that's each and all, but under the name Gaetana Gravelisi should be up on Spotify. Probably, I'm thinking in January. Uh, mm. We get a lot of the kind of a reprisal of all that song um, as well as I'm working on a small 
10 to 12 song project, like a cover song project that I'm trying to actually collaborate with people, which ties right back into that, making sure it's a collaboration and not me teaching somebody. And so it's taken a little bit of time <laughs> to find people who want to collaborate, who have the time that are like, get what I say, right? I don't have to explain everything. Um, so we want to get that out and start putting those songs out as well in March. And that would be on uh, SoundCloud at first, through the same website, mm-hmm. like the Gravelisi website and then uh then through spotify i might shorten things someday to just gaytana but when i get to beyonce madonna level i'll let y'all know <laughs> perfect and we, we we look forward to it and we will also post the uh, we'll post your links at the uh on the show notes of this right down below yeah right down below and uh we we look forward to that day but until then we uh, had a blast and we cannot thank you enough and thank you for sharing your life and your thoughts and um your witness with us <laughs> thank you yeah. for letting me share anything i know it's like oh it's always <laughs> that i can't believe i said any of that now i'm gonna go hide but no, <laughs> no. Always, that's what we do we coax you like friends and we listen and then we get you to admit things that will make people weep <laughs> <laughs> That's no, how I, we, I think we, we I think people. people will once they they will your honesty come your transparency comes through. So, uh, yeah, really good stuff. Well, Gaetana, it has been a pleasure. We look forward to meeting in person. Everyone, thanks so much for tuning again to King of the Middle. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to King of the Middle with Michael Joel Green and Chris Moore. Check us out on YouTube or Facebook if you'd like to see the vidcast version of this podcast.